Thank you so much, uh, our nursing students. You've blessed us. Oh, man, that was amazing. Praise the Lord. Uh, if you guys didn't know, these are our uh, Walla Walla nursing students. Do you guys sing to your patients? Because you should. Just walk in and start singing. That'll make everyone better. Make everyone better. Uh, we're so glad that you guys are joining us for church today, whether you're here in person or online. We're so thankful that you would spend this time with us. Um, so it's official. Uh, we will be concluding this series next week, all right? And it is a 12-part series, and uh, the series we are in right now is called The Worst Sermon Ever. The full title is What We Can Learn from the Worst Sermon Ever, A Study of the Book of Ecclesiastes. And we've been going through this for 11 weeks. Can you believe that? It's been 11 weeks. Today's part 11, and next week is part 12, and is the actual official conclusion of this series. So let me highlight a little bit about what next week's going to be about, because it's very, very important. Um, if you, maybe if you remember back long time ago when we first started the series, we mentioned that what's important to understand about the book of Ecclesiastes is that there are two voices in it. There are two people talking. The first is the teacher, and he's the person who talks from chapter 1 all the way to chapter 12, in the middle of chapter 12. And then at the end of chapter 12, there's a new voice that pops up in the book, and it's not the teacher, it's the author. And that's how I'll differentiate them, the teacher and the author. And so at the end of chapter 12, at the very end of this book, the author comes in and says, okay, you've heard all these things from the teacher, now let me tell you what it's all really about. He concludes it with the last part of chapter 12. And when I was reading, I was like, maybe I should have started with this, because not only does he kind of sum everything up, but he also tells you, this is how you should think about all the different things he said. And so if you haven't joined us for any message of this series, it's okay, because in 12, the last one, it's basically summing up everything. Everything all in one sermon. So next week's sermon is going to be like six hours long, just warning you guys. Uh, just kidding, right? But it's, it's the conclusion of the message series, and it's a really, really important way to wrap up all these different things that the teachers talked about in the past 11 chapters. Now, what, what's happening the week after that is actually super exciting, so I just wanted to tee it up for you guys. Um, last weekend, there was this very special program in Gladstone called the Arise Intensive, and it was these two amazing teachers of the Bible, David Ashrick and Ty Gibson, and they came and they gave like three days, just two and a half days of, of lectures on Scripture. And I know that some of you guys are like, Oh, I don't know about that. But we had a number of people go, and they said it was amazing. It was, like, mind-blowing. And so what's really cool is for those of us who, who weren't able to go, um, like me, I was sad because I had to be here. But it's okay. It's fine. Um, I was happy last week, too. Um, but in two weeks, the ones who went there, they're going to come back and share with us kind of like the highlights of the things that they learned that were a huge blessing for them. So that's going to be really, really cool in a couple of weeks. So I want to make sure that you guys know about that and are here for that. Today, we're going to be going over uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 10. And he's going to be talking about a really familiar topic, one that we would expect him to talk about, especially in an area of the Bible that's called wisdom literature. He talks about wisdom, but he talks about wisdom in a really, really uh, important way and a different way. And he provides this kind of nuance that we all have to be aware of. So that's what we're talking about today. Let's pray and get into today's message. Father in heaven, 
Lord, as we are nearing the end of the series, I hope it's been a blessing to our church and anyone who watches online as much as it has been a blessing to me as I've studied and prepared, Father. I feel like this has really in, in changed the way I view life and view you and view spirituality. And I ask God that as we continue on, you would continue to be here with us, speaking to us in ways we need to be spoken to. In your name we pray. Amen. So I mentioned in chapter 10, he's talking about wisdom. But what's interesting about what he says is not necessarily what he says, because what he says, all of you would assume that's what it would say in the Bible when it comes to wisdom. What's interesting is not what he says, it's what he says in comparison to what he had said. So let me break it down for you. This is what he says in Ecclesiastes chapter 10, verse 10, 10 about wisdom. Using a dull axe requires great strength. So sharpen the blade. That's the value of wisdom. It helps you succeed. All right. That's fine, right? That's probably what you would expect in a book in the Bible about wisdom. Wisdom is good. Wisdom helps you succeed. It's a good thing. You should have it. You should find it. Awesome, right? Go get wisdom and be wise. But if you guys remember... He had a different tune a number of chapters ago. In chapter 2, he says something very, very different. Let me read it for you guys. Ecclesiastes chapter 2, I'm going to read 13 to 16. Listen to what he says about wisdom now and how different it is from what he said in chapter 10. I saw that wisdom is better than folly. Okay, we're on the same page. Just as light is better than darkness, the wise have eyes in their heads while the fool walks around in darkness. But... I came to realize that the same fate overtakes both, the wise and the foolish. Then I said to myself, listen to what he says, the fate of the fool will overtake me also. What then do I gain by being wise? I said to myself, this too is meaningless, for the wise, like the fool, will not be long remembered. The days have already come when both have been forgotten. Like the fool, the wise too must die. Okay. So what is it, teacher? Is it wisdom is good and valuable, or is wisdom meaningless? Because in 10, he says, it helps you succeed, there's value in it. But in chapter 2, he says, there's no point. Wise people, foolish people, they all ultimately die. So what's the point? Wise people, foolish people, makes no difference. No one's going to remember you anyway. And he doubles down on that in chapter 9. We didn't talk about it last week, but he talks about how even if you're wise... No one really cares. Yeah, you're going to help them for a moment, but right afterwards, they're going to forget, and no one's going to even remember your name. So it's not really worth it. Wisdom is not really worth it when it comes pairs to foolishness. But then in 10, he said, it is. So, so we have to understand, what's he talking about, right? Is, so either, here are your options. Either he forgot what he said, or he changed his mind. In between chapters 2 and chapter 10, he's like, actually, I changed my mind. Wisdom is actually really valuable. I know what I said before. I was wrong. Or the last option is he actually means this. And in some way, we can understand that wisdom is not better than foolishness, but at the same time, wisdom is better than foolishness. This is, our, this is, our, this is what we have to do today. We have to figure out what does he mean when he says wisdom is not better than foolishness, but actually at the same time, wisdom is better than foolishness. So we need to look a little bit closer, and I want to ask you a question as we read Ecclesiastes 2 one more time. What is the reason 
why he says that wisdom is not better than foolishness in chapter 2. What's the reason? What's the reason why he says it doesn't have any value? Let's read that one more time. I saw that wisdom is better than folly, just as light is better than darkness. The wise have eyes in their heads while the fool walks in the darkness. But I came to realize that the same fate overtakes bo uh, them both. Then I said to myself, the fate of the fool will overtake me also. What then do I gain by being wise? I said to myself, this too is meaningless. For the wise, like the fool, will not be long remembered. The days have already come when both have forgotten. Like the fool, the wise too must die. What's the reason? In his mind, what is the main reason why wisdom and foolishness are all the same thing? Think. You don't have to say it out loud, but think. I want you to be, be focusing in, engaging with me, right? What is the reason? The reason is outcomes. That's the reason. When you look at outcomes of wisdom and outcomes of foolishness, it's all the same. Because what's the final outcome according to him? Death. If you're wise, remember, he's operating under the sun, and we talked about this last week. Under the sun, life separate from God, no, no, no understanding or faith or belief in afterlife, resurrection, heaven. He doesn't have that. So he says, at the end of the day, the ultimate outcome for wisdom and foolishness, all the same. We all are going to die. And he says this in chapter 10 also. This, which is why I believe he didn't change his mind. He's actually explaining this more. In chapter 10, verse 14, he says, No one really knows what is going to happen. No one can predict the future. Outcomes are out of your hands. We don't know what's really going to happen. So, so ultimately, the one thing we know is going to happen is death is going to happen to the wise and the foolish. So it's meaningless. But also, not even just when it comes to like ultimate outcomes, just in life, no one can really predict the future. No one can really know what's going to happen. The future is unpredictable. No one can actually know it. He says this in chapter 9. I have observed something else under the sun. The fastest runner doesn't always win the race. Hmm. The strongest warrior doesn't always win the battle. The better football team doesn't always win the game. The Packers don't always beat the Lions, unfortunately. Okay. Uh, the wise sometimes go hungry. The skillful are not necessarily wealthy. And those who are educated don't always lead successful lives. It's all decided by chance by being in the right place at the right time. So in chapter 9, chapter 10, he's saying outcomes are unpredictable. Wisdom and foolishness are the same when it comes to outcomes. This is really, really key, the differentiation he makes here. When it comes to outcomes, wisdom is not better than foolishness. But in another way, what he's getting is that, is that wisdom is better than foolishness. In other ways. So, I want us to look at that verse one more time, Ecclesiastes chapter 10, verse 10, when he says that wisdom does help you. And I want to read it from the NASB because I think the NASB version in this helps to uh, really, is more closely what the, to what the meaning of the original text says. So Ecclesiastes chapter 10, uh, verse 14. If the axe is dull, sorry, this is 10 verse 10. If the axe is dull and he does not sharpen its edge, then he must exert more strength. Wisdom has the advantage of bringing success. Listen to the language there. Wisdom has the advantage of bringing success. Wisdom does not guarantee success. It does not guarantee a certain outcome, but it helps you, gets you closer to success. Wisdom will help you get closer to success than foolishness will. It's not going to guarantee it. It's not a 100% for sure, 
If you're wise, it doesn't mean automatically everything is going to be great and you're going to be successful. But it gets you closer to success than foolishness would. So this is not mind-blowing, right? No one is like, wow, I've never thought of that before. I never realized that. That's crazy. No one is really, really like mind-blown by that. But what he does here is he introduces this like nuance between outcomes and decisions. Outcomes at the end of the day and what you do today. The difference between what happens 100 years from now and what you're going to do tomorrow. He, he, he introduces this kind of like slight nuance in the discussion of wisdom. And that, to me, is actually kind of mind-blowing and actually much more helpful than simply this idea that, oh yeah, wisdom will help get you closer to success. What he's getting at here, what this underlying truth and principle that he's bringing forth about wisdom and foolishness is this. And this is so important for us. Wisdom is less about outcomes and more about decisions. Let me say that one more time. Wisdom is less about outcomes and more about decisions. Wisdom is less about trying to guarantee a specific outcome of your life and more about making good, healthy, right God-honoring decisions every single day. It's more concerned with what I'm going to do right now in this moment with that other person. It's more about what I'm going to do when my boss is yelling at me, what I'm going to do when my children are going crazy, what I'm going to do when I think my parents are being unfair. Wisdom has more to do with that than what's going to happen to me at the end of the day. It's less about outcomes and more about decision-making. It's less about how can I get to a certain status or get to a certain level or get to a certain place and more about how am I living my life every single day. He says, when it comes to outcomes, wisdom's not going to change much because number one, you're going to die in the end, just like everyone else. And number two, you can't guarantee anything. You have no idea what's going to happen tomorrow. You could do the right thing and the best thing and it's going to be wonderful, but you don't know what's going to happen at the end of that. Wisdom is more about how you live your life today and in those moments and when you have to make certain decisions. Right before this, he says this whole thing about the Acts. In verses 8 and 9, he has this, this, these, these few like, lines that are one of those sections. If you guys read the Bible and you read it and you're like, what is this? Like, why would you even say this? This makes no sense at all. All right, this is what he got here. Uh, in chapter 10, verses 8 and 9, he says this. When you dig a well, you might fall in. Okay, when you demolish an old wall, you could be bitten by a snake. What? Like, what do you mean? Uh, when you work in a quarry, stones might fall and crush you. When you chop wood, there is danger with each stroke of your axe. Like, I don't know if this is a thing, you know? Like, maybe this was a thing that snakes lived in walls a lot, so if you broke down a wall, there's a very good possibility a snake could bite you. Like, I don't know. Or this could be just, like, super random and just, like, really strange things, right? Like, this is so odd. I remember reading this, and I was like, what does this even mean? But when you look at this through the lens of wisdom and outcomes and decisions and like what happens later or today, it begins to make more sense. Think of this in terms of outcomes. When you dig a well, you might fall in. That's an outcome. Kind of a strange one, right? Like if I dig this well, maybe by chance I'll be walking by, I'll trip and I'll fall in the well. Oh, that's terrible. When you demolish an old wall, you could be bitten by a snake. That's an outcome. I don't know what's in this wall. I'm not going to touch this wall. What if there's a snake? What if there's a shark? I don't know. There could be something crazy in there. I'm not going to touch that wall. I need those bricks and I need those stones, but if I go into a quarry, that's an outcome. Stones might fall and crush me. 
He's dealing with outcomes here. All of these things are outcomes. So what are you supposed to do? Right? The, the kind of ridiculousness of this, these few verses is that if you have wisdom based on outcomes, you will never dig that wall. You'll never break down that wall. You'll never get the bricks and the stones you need to build your house or build whatever you got. You'll never chop axe. You're going to be cold in the winter because you're not going to have fire. If you just have wisdom solely based on outcomes, you will do none of these things that you actually have to do. See, wisdom based on outcomes, in his mind, is foolishness. It's folly to just think about what's going to happen at the end of the day and live your life solely based on that. See, what he's really getting at is it's not about whether you build a well and maybe one day you'll fall in. It's that you need to make a good decision as you build that well. Right? He says at the end of verse 9, if you chop wood, you could endanger yourself, which makes sense, right? You got an axe, especially someone like me, very good chance that I'm chopping wood and I'm going to like cut my leg off, right? Like it's a very good chance because I don't know how to do stuff like that. So it's not so much like, oh, I, I, if I chop wood, I could hurt myself so I won't chop wood. He says, no, wisdom says don't really worry about the outcome. Focus on a very good decision. In that moment, that decision is something like, I don't know, sharpen your axe. Because if you sharpen your axe, it's going to be less work. It's going to be safer, actually, as you chop wood. It's not so much about the outcome or the potential outcome. It's about making a good decision in that moment, even in the mundane decision of sharpening an axe. Even in the mundane decisions of, of what you're going to do today or how are you going to respond to this situation in this moment in your life. Wisdom is not so much about the outcome, but more about the decisions you make today. Simple mundane decisions like when you wake up, what's the first thing you're going to do? Are you going to look at your phone or are you going to say something nice to your wife or your husband or to your kids? Are you gonna, when you wake up, the first thing you're going to do is going to go to your phone, check your feet, or are you going to open the word? Are you going to pray? Are you going to meditate on scripture? A simple decision like that. That's where wisdom is really better than foolishness in those decisions. In those mundane decisions of how you're going to talk to people and how you're going to interact with people. Or as life-altering decisions as should I go meet that person at that place where I feel like I really shouldn't be there. Or, or, or that the, the decisions of should I take the deal even though my friends and people I trusted and my parents have told you don't do it. But I really want to. Should I do that? Should I make that decision? Or should I compromise my integrity for some kind of gain, whether it's financial or whatever. Wisdom is better than foolishness in those decisions. Not about outcomes, because you never know what's going to happen. But in those moments, wisdom has a place. See, what he's really talking about here is understanding whose responsibility are outcomes. Putting outcomes in the right place in your life. Whose responsibility are outcomes? What he's getting at here, when he talks about wisdom, he says, outcomes are God's responsibilities. Decision-making is yours. Outcomes are God's responsibility. That's something he can do. That's something he can take care of. That's something that can be entrusted to him. But your responsibility every day is decision-making. And if you are a follower of Jesus, it goes beyond just simply good decisions or wise decisions. When it comes to following Jesus, we trust that outcomes are God's responsibility and obedience is yours. Obedience is your responsibility. 
and my responsibility. This is what he's getting at. But wisdom, when it only is focused on outcomes, it's pointless. Now, we should be aware of goals and plans and not be irresponsible, right? You chop the wood because you want a specific outcome. But he's saying that you have to allow that to make you make good decisions. And you cannot guarantee any kind of success, guarantee any kind of positive outcome. Because outcomes are God's responsibility. And decision-making is yours. Now, this is really important for us. This is really, really important for us, not because I think you guys make decisions. I don't. Because you're here. You're at Rock Fellowship. You're watching online. Clearly, you make excellent decisions in your life, right? You're here in this moment, and it's wonderful. But this is important for us to understand is because we got to be honest with ourselves. When it comes to your faith, what is your primary concern? See, as I think I look about my life, and I think about people I know and just like faith, for most people, and this is most people, maybe you're different, but most people, our primary concerns are all about outcomes. Isn't it? Our main thing that we're worried about, the main things we take to God, they all have to deal, for the most part, with outcomes. For some of you, the reason you believe in God, the reason you have faith, the reason you're here, is because of outcomes. And you may not want to say that, but deep down, you know, the reason I believe is because I want a sp specific outcome. And I don't know if it's heaven or, or what. And there are some of you, there are some of you who are struggling to believe and are having doubts in your faith. And maybe you've actually walked away from faith at one point in time in life, or maybe you're considering it. And the reason you are is because of outcomes. I thought it was supposed to be this way if I follow Jesus, but it didn't turn out that way. So maybe I'll step out. I expected a certain outcome in my life if I was a Christian, and it's not really happening. And now I'm struggling to believe. I'm struggling to have faith because of the outcomes. For us, the primary concerns, are, I mean, just think about what do you pray about? Right? And I'm not judging you because I'm right there with you. When you pray, most of our prayers, most of our prayers have to do with outcomes, circumstances and outcomes. You want a specific outcome for a specific situation in your life. We, our primary concern, our outcomes, much less of our prayer is about our faith and our character and our growth. We spend more time praying to God and giving these situations to God because we want to see something happen in a specific situation. And then we spend less time praying about faith and wisdom in our own lives to be the kind of people that would make good decisions. Our primary concern is all about outcomes. And I'm not saying that's bad. I'm not saying it's a bad thing, right? Like Jesus tells us to present our request to God. Paul tells us to present our request to God. So you should do that. But we have to understand that there's, a, there, there's something, something not right here because we're learning that wisdom is not so much about outcomes and we should entrust them but we're not really praying about the other thing. We're not praying about being people that will make faithful and right and good decisions. And this is even more concerning for me, and I think we need to be aware of it because of something Paul says. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, 2, the famous love chapter, listen to what he says in verse 2. If I had such faith that I could move mountains but didn't love others, I would be nothing. The problem is, 
I don't think we believe this. I don't think you believe this. And I don't think I really believe this. We hear it like, oh, yeah, that sounds good. Love people. But I don't think we really believe this. Because what do we celebrate? Right? Faith that could move mountains. Faith that could, could create these outcomes. Faith that would lead, initiate healings. Faith that would, would do things where, where things would change and, and circumstances would change and people would change. That is what we celebrate. We're like, praise the Lord for the outcomes of someone's faith. Right? Like that we love that. We love those stories. This, these glorious, wonderful, God-honoring, victorious outcomes. We celebrate those things. We don't celebrate as much the person. We celebrate these miraculous outcomes. Right, I mean, just think about some of the stories that we love in Scripture. Right, there's a story of Daniel in the lion's den. If you don't know the story, real quick synopsis. There's a guy named Daniel. He's this man that was originally in, in Jerusalem. He's a Jewish person, but he's been exiled to Babylon. And there's this law that says, if you pray to any other god but me, or, or the king says, if you pray to any, anyone else but me, we're going to throw you in the lion's den. Daniel stands firm in his faith. He continues to pray, and he gets thrown in the lion's den. That everyone's sure that he's going to die, and he's going to get mauled and destroyed. And they, open the, they, they move the stone, and then they look, and, and Daniel's alive, and he's like petting the lion. They're having a good time together. He saves it for life, and we're like, wow. Or think about the story of Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, and the fiery furnace, right? These three young Jewish boys were brought in exile to, to Babylon once again. And he said, no one, can, no one can worship anyone. You must worship the king. And these guys don't worship, so they throw them into a fiery furnace to burn them alive, and they don't die. There's this, like, figure in there. We believe it's Jesus in there, and, they, and they're alive. They don't even smell like smoke. And it's amazing, right? And we celebrate the outcome, the miraculous outcome. It's amazing, these wonderful, wonderful outcomes of these stories. But remember what Paul says, if I have faith to move mountains but I don't have love, I'm nothing. So in these stories, he would say, yeah, that's cool. That's so cool that Daniel didn't die. But you know what's cooler? Daniel is cooler. The kind of person Daniel is, that's actually even cooler than the miraculous outcome at the end of that story. Oh, it's amazing that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they don't die in the fire. But you know what's even more amazing? Is what God did in Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. What God did in Daniel's life is even more amazing than the miraculous outcome of that story. Pastor Jonathan asked us this interesting question a number of, of months ago. In these stories, if Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, if they died in the fire, let me ask you this. Does that mean God was unfaithful? If Daniel was eaten by those lions, he stood up for his faith, but he was eaten by those lions, and he died, was God unfaithful? The stories, the way it's written, what Paul says, the answer is no. Even if they died, God was still faithful. Even if they died, God didn't abandon them. We only think that he may have because we're so focused and obsessed on outcomes. See, Paul would look at them and says, no, 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 no. Even if they died, God was faithful because of the people he raised them to be. Because of the work God did in their lives and raised them up. What's amazing and what's so awesome about the story is that Daniel was this man who was stolen from his home, kidnapped and exiled to a foreign land, forced to work for this like evil king or whatever, right? And in that, 
even though it seemed like everything was going wrong, he still had faith and he still stood strong. He had conviction and passion. Like, that's, that's the faithfulness of God right there. Not at the end of the story where he saved his life. You know, I think what Paul would say, I think what we got to understand about, about, about the outcomes and, and, and God's faithfulness is that the faithfulness of God, this is crazy, the faithfulness of God is revealed more in faithful people than miraculous outcomes. You guys hearing me? That's wild, dude. If you think about it. The faithfulness of God is revealed more in faithful people than miraculous outcomes. Miraculous outcomes are awesome, wonderful. Praise the Lord for them. But the faithfulness of God is more revealed in the people, in the way that God has been a part of their lives, in the way God has raised them up, in the way that God has cultivated this deep faith in their lives, where that even if their lives depended on it, they would stand firm, that is the faithfulness of God. Like, that's amazing. That means we don't need miraculous outcomes in our lives to declare and celebrate the faithfulness of God. Right? Like we could have whatever happen to us, but we know God is in me and he's working in me and he's with me. And it doesn't matter what's happening around me. God is still faithful. So for you, I don't know what you in your life, what you've been looking for. Like if I were to ask you, is God with you? Is God faithful? How you feel about God? I don't know if you, you're, you've been looking for, well, like, you know, you know, this is what's happening in my life. You know, like I prayed about this and, and it didn't really happen. And this person got sick and I prayed for them and, and things didn't really work out. And, and maybe, and I understand that in those moments, it's a struggle. I'm like, yeah, I don't know if God is that faithful. But I want you to think for a moment. I want you to stop and take a step back. And shift your eyes from outcomes and look at what God has been doing in your life. How God has changed you and shaped you and transformed you over the last five years or ten years. That when you look back to the person you were and you look back and you look now to the person you've become, you can see what God has been doing. I want you to realize that in that moment, in what God has, doing, has been doing in your life, Therein lies the true faithfulness of God, not necessarily the miraculous outcomes that we all long for. The faithfulness of God is revealed more in faithful people than miraculous outcomes. And I know this is so hard, I think, for us to, to wrap our heads around. But when I look at you, and I don't know all of you, and I don't know all of your story, but for those of you who I do know, when I look at you, when I look at your life, and I talk to you, and I see, and I've been here for six years to see the, the transformation and change that God has been doing in your life, I celebrate that. And you should too. You should celebrate and worship the faithfulness of God, not because of your bank account, not because of what's happening around you at your job, not because of the success you're having in this world, but because of what God has been doing inside of you. And he's been doing stuff inside of you. He's been working inside of you. And I see it. I see it all the time in you. So praise the Lord for that. He's faithful. And then when I, when I stop and think about like our church and I look about Rock Fellowship and I think about what God has done in here, right? And I'm not talking about numbers. I'm not talking about how many people attend worship. But I'm talking about the way the culture has shifted and the way the people have changed and the spirit in this place of community and love. I'm like, man, God is faithful. 
doesn't matter what's happening around us. doesn't matter the success of programs and ministries and projects, but just what he's been doing in us. He's faithful. The faithfulness of God is revealed more in faithful people than in miraculous outcomes. And, it's not, and there's no other story that highlights this better than the story of Jesus and the cross. I mean, let's think about it, okay? When Jesus was on the cross, when Jesus died on the cross, when his disciples, his followers, and all the people who thought that they had put their hope in Jesus, as they watched, as they saw him die, as the seemingly darkest, most terrible outcome was unfolding before their very eyes, when their hopes and dreams that were placed in this person were being shattered and crashed all to the floor, when Jesus was dead on a cross, let me ask you this, was Jesus faithful? Was God faithful in that moment? If you think about outcomes, yeah, I know he's going to be resurrected, but in that moment for the people as they looked at him and they saw him dead, as you think about it from the, from the lens of outcomes, God would seem to be unfaithful. He let his own son die. He let the hope of Israel die. But if you think about it, and you know what is happening in that moment, when Jesus is hanging on a cross, dead, defeated, put to death by the Romans, he, God was no less faithful in the death of Jesus than he was with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, than he was with Daniel in the lion's den, than he's done in, in the entire scripture and all the stories. God was faithful even though the outcomes looked like it was the opposite. But God was faithful in the death of Jesus. So that's why in Ecclesiastes, he's like, dude, if you want to be wise, don't worry about outcomes. Give the outcomes to God. You focus on your faithful decisions every single day. That's what you worry about. Outcomes are his responsibility. Decisions and obedience, that's yours. That is wisdom. Don't put your trust that, oh, if I'm wise, then everything's going to work out. That's not how it works. And if anyone ever told you that, that if you're a Christian, all these great things are going to happen to you. We talked about retribution theology a couple weeks ago. I'm telling you, it's a lie. It's not true. But if that's what you thought and you're discouraged by outcomes, I want you to understand that that's not what wisdom is. That's not what this faith is like. The faithfulness of God is revealed in what he's doing in us, through us, and working in us, not the outcomes. So it's really simple. As confusing as chapter 10 was for me, let me tell you guys, Pastor Jonathan and I, we sat together to plan out this sermon series because he's, or that sermon, because he's in Arizona and he's preaching a very similar sermon and he went to go and we're kind of like trying to link up everything. We sat there for hours on, the, on Tuesday like, what is this about? Why is this so hard? Why does he write like this? We just sat for hours just like looking at each other, talking about stuff. And then we like, oh, I think this. And like, ah, but remember that, 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 that. Or like, oh, no, that doesn't work. And we just like went back and forth for hours and hours and hours. But at the end of the day, man, it's actually so simple. This is what it comes down. The teaching of Ecclesiastes chapter 10 is really simple. It's this. Make wise decisions and entrust outcomes to God. That's it. That's what Ecclesiastes 10 is about. Make wise decisions. That's what wisdom is. Wisdom leads you to make wise decisions, and you just entrust all the outcomes to God. That is mature. This is mature faith. 
Mature faith is one where you can live faithfully and entrust all outcomes to the Lord. And I would even argue the more mature you are, the greater faith you have, the more outcomes you're, allowed, you're allowing God to take control of. So that's wisdom in Ecclesiastes 10. Make wise decisions and entrust outcomes to God. And I want you to see that through it all, God is faithful. That's what Ecclesiastes 10 is all about. And so next week as we conclude, I want to invite you guys back for our last message of this sermon series as we sum it all up as the author finally appears and tells you his thoughts on this whole thing. We're going to close it all up next week, and I hope you'll be back for that. Let's pray. Loving Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for, for challenging us with a new perspective on wisdom. I thank you for challenging us with a new perspective on a lot of things today. And God, I just hope that as we, as we leave church today, as we walk away from this place, at least two things would be stuck in our minds. That we understand that wisdom is about the everyday decisions we make. But number two, that no matter what hap is happening in our life, no matter what outcomes are happening in our lives, we can see your faithfulness in the everyday moments. And especially we can see the faithfulness in how you've been working in us, Lord. Because I'm so grateful and I praise you, Father, every day for what you're doing in my life and in the lives of my friends and my community here and in our church. So, Father, help us to walk away with a new appreciation for your faithfulness, that we don't have to look to circumstances and what's happening outside of us. We just got to look at our own lives and praise you for your faithfulness, Lord. Help us to walk away celebrating the work you've been doing in our lives. Thank you. Thank you for your faithfulness, O oh Lord. And you hear me pray. Amen.